This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chapter Tactics. I'm your host, Mr. Petey Pob, and with me I have Mr. Jeff in Control Robinson, Val Heffelfinger, and Mr. Joshua Death coming from the In the Finest Hour. Say hi, guys. How you guys doing? Hello. Good evening. <laughs> so, uh, today's episode is going to be quick and dirty uh there wasn't a, there wasn't any large major tournament news this past weekend and adepticon is right around the corner uh so we are hustling down at frontline gaming basically selling a ton of display trays which are which are just flying off the shelves right now as everyone's getting ready for adepticon we're also getting ready for our mvp worker frankie leave for five days uh so we all got to pick up the slack for him being a small company so because of that this episode is going to be a little shorter uh we're going to talk about the new chaos book the visualist ablaze book um we're going to talk about the adepticon kind of like the snapshot of the meta for adepticon uh we'll talk about josh death's list that he's bringing to adepticon uh, about jeff and his live coverage and what he's looking forward to adepticon and then finally we're going to do a quick down and dirty tips and tricks for using chess clocks i've gotten a couple emails from people who've had difficulties using chess clocks or the TOs maybe didn't implement chess clocks where they should have and did led to some definite feels bads moments. Uh, so we're going to talk about chess clocks a little bit and chess clock etiquette. Before we go into all of that quick announcement, we are giving a shadow spear box brand new away to one lucky patron. So if you want to win a shadow spear box, if you want to ask questions at the end of every episode and get them answered, join our Patreon. Or if you just want to shoot us a couple bucks, be more than grateful. Should have split it between two lucky patrons, because someone's going to do that anyway. You know, if if you the winner of the Shadow Street Box wants to split it with another person, you know, me, I, I could use the Space Rain stuff. <laughs> uh, jo- joking aside, we'll get, we'll cross that hurdle when we get to it. All right. So first and foremost, Vigilus Ablaze. That book oh, so has got some good stuff. So I know Jeff already has it. Right, Jeff. I'm assuming yep. Jeff already has it. Uh, Mr. Josh Death, do you do you know much about it? If you don't have, you I, I know a, copy a bit. Somewhere? I did not sneak a copy, um, but I have been following a lot of the leaks and the list. Even listening to some of the podcast talks about it and so on and so forth. And I am uh, thoroughly, thoroughly stoked with that fire. All right, and then Mr. Val Heffelfinger. Well, I'm a bridge of all of uh, all all of the uh, various big strokes of it. It looks really cool. I'm happy to hear uh, what everyone else thinks about it too. All right, so first and foremost, if you don't know, uh, Vigilus Ablaze is the second in a series of the Vigilus series. It's a campaign book, and this book is 
pretty much devoted entirely to chaos, whereas the Vigilist Defiant book had a mix of Eldar, Orcs, Space Marines, Gene Sealer Colt. Uh, this book is, I think, as I was thumbing through it, I think it's almost, they're all chaos detachments. Correct me yep. if I'm wrong, guys. Uh, so it's all chaos all the way, and I think there's some good stuff in there for not only chaos units that are tournament darlings like blood letters but also you know for some other units that you might not see on the tabletop uh so jeff you know a lot more about this you've been building a chaos army down and dirty what's 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 something you're excited for in the vigilance of blaze book uh well it's it's just another installment of getting things on the table that you wanted to i thought it was pretty funny the way they did the previews because a lot of the chapter tactics and stuff they're like talking about for word bearers and whatnot were not that exciting. And then they were teasing things out of Vigilus that must have been some of the least powerful and, and most unexciting stuff because uh, they de- they definitely talked about some things that were really good, obviously, but it was just kind of funny. They were like cherry peeking, uh, picking, excuse me, the weaker things. The book is full of insanely good stuff. Um, I, I think some of the standouts that everyone's talking about is obviously the ability to shoot at the end of your opponent's first movement phase. Um, At first glance, the damage output, obviously, that people are excited about is incredible, but I think it acts a lot like a Vindicare in that it's just going to control space on a table. Um, It's going to be like 7th edition Kodiaz where you're like, hey, just so you know, I don't want this to catch you off guard. I will have the ability to shoot at the end of your movement phase on the first turn. So they're like, oh shit, so i got to stay away from that unit of Havocs or... For whatever reason, you have those obliterators on the table, which I would not recommend. Um, <laughs> but if you do, and they uh, they got to stay away from it, or they can move right into it and get eaten alive, basically. So it's just very powerful stuff. But then there's things like making warp talons and, and jump troops more powerful, um, giving your demon engines that little extra oomph, like the ability to advance and charge um, is just absolutely insane. So it's yeah, just thro- going to make a lot of units a- very playable. Throwing that on a brass scorpion or a kaitan is a lot of oomph. I I just love the big combos. I, I know there's probably lots of great nuance, but I just think it's hilarious what some of the big stuff can do with uh with that detachment. Yeah. Yeah, and and one thing I know Reese has been raving about that I think is actually pretty good too is is the the ability to give one Black Legion unit all the marks of chaos. Right, so Reese was jump throwing ideas on like like ten chaos terminators, one with every single mark, so they're able to fight again in close combat, shoot twice in the shooting phase, and I don't know anything else with the CSM book, but you guys get the idea. Uh, I do love that, and also I love the Red Corsairs detachment as well. Um, the the fact that they get the extra command points, um, which is something that CSM desperately need, and I I don't know if it's I don't know if the CP boost is good enough to justify bringing Chaos Space Marine squads. Um, I don't know if there's kidding? anything. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, There's I a strategy where you can is. reincarnate in a unit of 20, like Tide of Traitors. So, yes. For, okay, well, that's pretty good. That's that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty pretty good. Uh, and then, you know, they've got the Bolter Rule and stuff, too, I think. Seems so, good. Bolter Rule, they got a new good. weapon that's 8 shots, strength 5, minus 1, 1 damage. And looks so two cool. Of those in a unit, so there's 16 yeah, shots, which you can shoot yeah. twice if you want to, if you don't have obliterators on the table, so that's 32 shots. Okay. And that whole unit can tie to traitors uh, forever, too, by the way, because it's not actually, it's not called tie to traitors, we just refer to it as that. Um, it's not nerfed yet, and I don't know if they intend to, but you can just take a unit and keep re- reanimating it. Yep, the nice 20, 20 man obsec power armor, 32 shot shooting unit. Okay. You know what's weird is that that is the first time I've heard anyone talk about that. Really? Yeah. Seems yeah. good. 
so, so I mean, the Seems embargo legit. just lifted. Yeah, the, the embargo just lifted over the weekend. So I imagine a lot of these listeners are probably, you know, have listened just a few YouTube channels or or podcasts that have briefly covered the whole book. Um, which is why I'm so glad I got Jeff on here because Jeff has been pouring over this book. Uh, w- what are some other powerful combinations that? Because I know you're building a Chaos Space Marine list, Jeff. Yeah. Um, what's what are some powerful combinations that you're going to use in particular? It's it's funny because I'm experiencing this firsthand where I like. Because when I when I usually buy armies, I have I, I buy massive collections, and and with a few cases, I kind of regret it. Like I have fucking sixty Skitari Rangers, I have twenty uh, <laughs> in, in, um, infiltrators. Like I have stuff that I'm never going to use, never did, and it's kind of cool to have it on the table. But at, at the same time, you know, <laughs> it's it's pretty wasteful. So I'm like, all right, with Chaos Space Marines, I'm going to be really smart about this. Because um, I started to collect them not because of the rules impending, but because the models absolutely blew me out of the water. The new Abaddon is disgustingly amazing the lord discordance one of the coolest models i've ever seen uh even the venom crawlers the greater possessed the obliterators all of it it's just absolutely insane and i've always liked the look of um chaos space brains just how eclectic they are like it doesn't feel very uniform they're not all in the same pose they're not all even wearing the same stuff i just love that kind of warband feel to them so i just i was like it's time but i'm gonna write lists i'm gonna key in on on focal units so that i'm just not gonna collect that much not gonna have a massive collection, but then I'm like, well, I need about 40 Chaos Space Marines because I really like the idea that they're giving us the ability to put them on the table. That Terminator unit's awesome. Shit, now I need three Venom Crawlers. I want a couple Greater <laughs> Possessed. Uh, they made Chaos Lords with Thunder Hammers and Plasma Pistols, so your new Smash Captains, 114 points or 119 well, points with the Plasma Pistol. And can, can I cut you off there briefly? Uh, not only do you have Chaos Lords with Thunder Hammers on bikes. But the Red Corsairs Lords can also advance and charge. So you can prescience them and potentially move like 38 inches with a Smash Captain and then charge with it. Sure. You uh, can put yours on a bike. I'm going to put mine in a jetpack and he's going to have 7 inch charge. Sure. But yeah, you can do that as well. Um, and then and all of a sudden I'm like, well, hang on. My collection's massive again. So <laughs> it's now just about getting it. You know, I, I know some wonderful artists. And I'm just getting them to paint it really fast. But I guess some other combos is like... Toughest five havocs. That was something that needed to happen. Um, mm. If you just have five guys without any ablative wounds, which they don't have because the unit's only up to five, and they all have to take war gear basically, um, then that's an expensive unit that like maybe shoots once then dies, right? But a tough five, and with some of these abilities and some of these marks where you can make them a little bit harder to hit, the prayer for minus one, that kind of stuff. Which, by the way, one subtle thing that people haven't talked about that much with prayers is they happen at the beginning of the battle round. So that's both good and bad. It's really good because it's defensive potential. But it's bad in the sense that, like, um, you need to plan to be in position to use it, right? So if you're opting for the reroll to hits or that kind of stuff, and then your idea is that your priest is going to get into position to then give that to a unit, that's not going to happen. It needs to be right next to it, or on turn two, they need to be next to it. But it's good for defensive abilities, because you can give one unit minus one to hit. Yeah, you can give a five up uh, invuln as well, and there's a couple different ways to do that, too. Yep. So that's all some good stuff. Um to be honest, it's the first fortification that I think is actually kind of usable. Just kind of, though, and, and a hilarious aside, is the Knockleth Crown was going to be even more bonkers. It was going to be stupid good. We had to tone it down. Oh, man. Like, the ideas they had for it were like, bro, this is too much. And they were like, oh, yeah, okay, well. <laughs> uh, it's still pretty good, though. It's a 24-inch, um, you know, doubles is apparel. So it's just like a, you just throw that in the middle of the table. And it's a massive thing, too. So it's taking cover with you. And then it gives an invul within six. So some of those key units like Havocs or a Blitz or whatever, some things that, well, not a Blitz because they have their own invul anyways, but 
you know, a cultist unit, whatever. There's some use, there's some use there is the point I'm trying to make. It's just, it's actually usable. It's good. And it's also models in the unit as opposed to the unit being wholly within. It says models. Yeah, so that's 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 pretty handy wow. too. So you that's can take your awesome. uh, take your involves on the guys in the bubble first. Mm. Yeah, you could power game that. I'm not sure. That makes me <laughs> nervous, but <laughs> obviously, okay. uh, it's not like the tree. You can actually blow the thing up, so that's that's yeah. nice. It's got 14 wounds, tough eight, something like that. Three up save. Uh, but it's also kind of cool because it's like you want to shoot at that, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you're not shooting at other things. Because the rest of the Chaos Space Marine army is going to be on t- like turn two. Is going to be one of the most violent turns you've ever seen. Um, it's also, and it's probably a misprint, but right now the Oblitz are listed at 65 points in the Codex. There's no way that that's going to be how much they cost. Like, it's not, there's no chance. So, I'm wondering, I, can, I kind of wonder if they might use it as a chance to maybe dial back a little bit from the Shadow Shadow. That spear. is possible, yes. That'd be so cool. It could, it could end up being the catalyst for them to not be 115, but be something like 85 or 90 or whatever. Yeah. Which that is fine, because right. I'll tell That'd you what. Even at 115, 36 shots with the buffs you can put on them, plus one, plus two to wound, re-rolling, plus one to hit. That unit fucking destroys. It absolutely obliterates. <laughs> um, but I'm okay with them being more expensive. Like People were like, well, they're unusable or too expensive. It's like, no, you can't take nine of them anymore, which I'm totally fine with because that list was lame anyways. But as it is, they're, discu- they're just insane. They're They're tougher... They actually can hit you back in close combat, and the, the if they live for two or three turns, your opponent's not. Let's just put it that way. All right, um, uh, Josh, what are what are some things that you've seen that excite you? Well, the Stargate thing was definitely one that I was kind of excited for. I've kind of had a fetish for fortifications for the majority of Eighth Edition, so obviously, new fortification kind of got me excited. Um, and and I, I sadly kind of have to be pretty much on the same page as Jeff, where. Most of the fortifications that have come out have been rather lackluster to the point of unplayable. Um, this one actually seemed like it had uh, potential. I don't think it's going to be like an auto-include or oh must-have, but I think it definitely has the potential to be an interesting piece. Um, and who knows, maybe there's some secret key tech involving the Stargate at some point that uh, might make make it actually pretty awesome on the table. They also um, made them functionally hard to use, right? Like, it should be, and I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but, like, battalions should have one fortification. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Like yes. That. Yes. It takes 100%. a whole detachment, so it's just hard to even justify them. Yeah. That is the single hardest part I have about fortifications is I feel like even if it was a situation where you had a fortification slot in a detachment, at least, I mean, it's in, you're just not allowed to bring an unaligned fortification in that slot. It has to be an aligned one. But still, that would at least open up a lot of potential. Fortification strat would do the trick too. Yep, right. Like what assassins have. Yeah, yeah. that'd be perfect. Um, so that one, that one's actually, I'm kind of excited for that. And ironically, one that I'm really excited for, uh, not as much for competitive play, but uh, maybe just soft spot in me, the fallen. They they look like the fallen has really? gotten quite oh, a bit of stuff so in cool. there. Yeah, it just looks like they've gotten like I mean, the fallen really hasn't got haven't gotten anything for quite a while, and just to see them kind of putting the spotlight on the fallen for a bit. That that uh, I'm excited for it. Not from like I said, not from a competitive standpoint, but from a I'm really curious to see where they go with it. I love the models. I like the fact they're showing them a little bit of love. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that 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 kind of has me excited. Uh, have you seen the corn uh, detachment in Vigil Sublays yet? I have not seen the detachment. I've only heard snippets from the conversations that I've been a part of. Okay, there, okay. there's lots of long suffering like elements of chaos that are getting so much nice love from this but if there's one that i'm 
so pleased to see it's that like the corn players I know are like, well, actually, like, ooh, maybe I could do something with that. And like, they're like standing up straighter, you know, they're whistling a little bit. It's great. Why well, they just got bloodthirsters back? Like, they they get a decent fortification as well. They get some fun tools. Yeah, they got new models and the new skull taker and all that stuff. Like, they're they're just absolutely hitting out of the park. One quick aside too, by the way, um, the the Lord Discordant is amazing, and I'm excited about him. And I love the plebeians on all the different forms stuff like that. He's untakeable at 12 wounds. And it's like, obviously are people really great. saying that. Oh yeah. It's the vast majority of people are like, well, <laughs> there goes that. I can't take it. It's like in the detachment, he moves 14 inches can advance and charge and can be warp timed. And at the same time, you can, if you really want buff him up to, I think as far as a three plus plus, but at least a four plus plus. And oh you God. can, he heals himself one plus D three. Uh, every turn so it's like yes if they really can get through them and kill them cool turn two your several demon engines your drop your like everything else comes in are you gonna go full hoosin on that one there jeff no so hoosin <laughs> takes a cool thing like a lord discord and then buys like three of them yep and then so no i'm not gonna i'm just gonna have the one <laughs> okay you, cool does he hit as hard as like the swarm lord in close combat or harder Harder? Yeah, yeah. From the stats I've seen, I think the guy's probably going to hit harder, yeah. And if he hits a vehicle, it's it's even worse. Like, everything that he does is worse against vehicles, um, which is not as useful, obviously, right now, but it's just kind of a fun little flavorful aside. But, you know, he's he's absolutely insane. And then what I like about CSM and, and what I think is really fun is there's so much synergy and there's so much, like, paired powers. There's not really as much individual super amazing and then you just take it in this attachment and it just singularly becomes awesome. The closest to that is like obliterators. They just kind of, well, even them actually, if they get buffed up, they're way more powerful. Right. But um, it's, it's the different synergistic things you can do. Like the master possession by himself seems a little bit silly, but then those two powers he can cast on demon engines, oh, right. all of a sudden it's more powerful. People are really upset. He doesn't have jump packs and can't move. And that's fine. You'll have to advance him. You have to fly him up the table. You have to plan accordingly. And it slows you down a little bit, but, can't have everything, especially if you're a CSM player. And uh, I'm just excited. It's good. Yes. Yeah, the uh, the layering of buffs and, and auras and strats and all that, it just, I don't know. They've they've really gotten a good design philosophy groove going, uh, which was a topic we talked about recently. And yeah. uh, no, I, I've been really pleased with some of the de- the details because, yeah, I don't know if they, if, if, it's, if it's the writers, if they're just sort of missing the mark or if they didn't want to like totally blow the lead on the stuff that was coming out. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see what the big facts like now because they said it wasn't going to be a big deal. <laughs> which I, I, yeah, I think that, that was is, subtle. It was a funny thing to say. It's like, I think their idea of, of what a big deal is, is like removing an army or adding one or something like that. I think that's the biggest of deals. Yeah. But uh, you can very reliably count on the fact that Castellan's going to get toned down. Uh, probably not nearly as far as people think it should be, but to, at the same time, it's like one of the highest selling models ever. So if you expect GW to just obliterate it, then uh, you don't understand business, I guess. Um, but it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited for that. I'm excited for all that stuff. Um, so speaking of the FAQ, right before the FAQ, it was a big tournament in Adepticon. Um, I think that Adepticon and the big FAQ will pretty much shape the way we look at competitive 40K going into the summer, um, pretty much until Nova. Uh, so let's talk about Adepticon a little bit. Uh, I've got here Nick Natavati's work list. So I just want to read it out. Again, is he? 
Yeah, so he's taking orcs and he switched his orc list up to make it Adepticon mission friendly. Uh, now, I'm not super familiar with the Adepticon missions uh, because I'm not going this year, so I didn't really read into them. Um, but when we were talking this weekend, he basically kind of briefly explained this list. So um, you guys just give me your feedback on it. And then I, I want to hear about uh, Josh Death's list and also what Jeff is looking forward to at Adepticon. Yeah. Uh, so Nick's list is a, a war boss, an evil sons battalion with the war boss, a weird boy, two units, 28 boys, and 10 grots, a bad moons battalion with the usual uh, 50 grots, big mech, war boss on bike, and the 22 lutas, or 15 and 7 lutas, uh, and then an e- another evil sons battalion with two weird boys, two units of 10 boys, 10 grots, and then this is where it changes from his LVO list. Uh, two units of nine storm boys and one big unit of twenty six storm boys, um, with big choppas and all the knobs. Yeah, to hit to hit flyers. Yeah. So so Josh, do you want to explain that a little further? Uh, as far as why he made the swap to the storm boys. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, so after obviously Alex Harrison's performance at LVO, um, and I mean just in the last month or so, the a uh, lot of Eldar armies both Dark Eldar and Yanari have all been gravitating to putting more flyers on the table. And, uh, I mean, I just a few events I've both gone to and seen, a lot of the top Eldar lists now have at least three flyers in their list somewhere. And they're getting a lot of legwork. And from what I'm hearing, there's probably going to be very similar showing at uh, Adepticon this year as well, just because of the mobility they grant. I am... Um... I'm I'm a bit surprised at the Storm Boys. I know he's liked them for a long time. He he had them sort of in the in the cupboard ready to start being built and painted and whatever, but my experience has been they hit like a wet noodle. The the, the fact that they, you know, have one less attack cuz they don't get the bonus for like a like a 20 man uh orc boys squad gets an extra attack for being above 20. Um and so they they have three attacks. He's got them with choppas, uh, not even claws. I thought when I saw him building storm boys that maybe he was going to go death skulls with them so that he could do the reroll wounds against vehicles and then and then really go hunt some aircraft. But I mean, the guy's Nick Natavati, and I am who I am. So I'm I'll be hmm. very curious to see how he actually makes use of them because um, I don't know. Maybe storm boys will be a very popular choice after Adepticon. We'll have to see. Uh, and and one other thing um, is is I'm kind of surprised by the lack of shooting. Right, so he doesn't have any of the big mech with the the crazy big gun. He his only big mech has a custom force field and a Grot Oiler friend, so it's like mm. nothing basically. So there's no real shooting other than the Ludas. Uh, the va- variance on the on the shock attack is just way too much of a wild ride. For, I don't know, for man. I, I don't know, man. That is so, so good, good though. So much <laughs> damage. D six damage per shot. It's insane. Is, I know. I, I've seen three, I, you know, obviously we don't need to go into detail, but um, you know, it, it is kind of weird because I know the Adepticon terrain is, is really light in the line of sight blocking department. Um, so, yeah. you know, I thought maybe he'd gravitate more towards a shooting list, um, though Shock obviously that isn't the case. probably going to get got a lot, too, out there by Vindicarius. He's a very ripe target. You could take um, one. Um, uh, they're actually not using the assassin rules. In, oh, at Adepticon at all Ooh. at all the the new the new assassin rules. I mean, obviously the the old ones are still in play, That's but they're not stupid. using any of the new. I know I'm 100 percent in agreement. I actually had an Imperial Army that I was like ready to rock, and then I found out they weren't running it. And I'm like, oh my god, that sucks so bad. It's just weird. There's more than enough time. It's yeah, there was plenty. It, 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 like, yeah, a month and a half ago. So it's... I just had to take a cool drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> just too bad. But even even for the the mech gun, you can take a ablative wound, so you get one turn of yeah. free. 
Yeah, it, exactly. It's it's uh, I mean, it, the the shock attack gun for me, orc wise, is a no brainer. I love them. I think they're uh, almost a must take, especially if you're already running the bad mood detachment, anyways. Oh, you want that death skulls, man? You want? Oh well, yeah, skulls. the death the death skull one. I've been seeing that one pop up mm-hmm. a lot more lately. Oh yeah, when he's yeah. rolling a hit, a wound, and a damage roll each turn, like he's always doing something. Yeah, the death the death skulls are crazy. Uh, I was on the receiving end of those about a week and a half ago. Um, so, uh, Josh, what are you bringing to Adepticon? How, how are you kind of tackling their missions and their terrain? Um, so their their missions definitely really caught me off guard this year. Uh, the they were very they were in a lot of fluctuation too there for almost a month and a half. Um, but uh, that they're going really as they normally do, very scoring heavy, very board control heavy style missions is one thing they kind of seem to favor, and they did it again this year where. Having something that's going to be able to maintain a solid board presence and hold that board is going to give you an edge in some of these missions. And so, uh, I surprisingly, I wanted to go with my demon list from LVO originally. That was my original thought process. But the problem with that list is Adepticon's battle points. It's differential scoring. And so, you can go undefeated at Adepticon and still not make day two if you don't score high enough. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that demon list doesn't it just doesn't score high enough. That's not what it's there to do. It's it's designed to just deny points, not actually get points. And so I was worried whether it was actually going to be able to have the the legs, the teeth to be able to go the distance. So um, I decided to go with the variant concept, still kind of running with some of those ideas. And I went with Gene Sealer Cult, actually. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I kind of I went completely pear shaped on it, and uh, I am am chagrined, honestly, to hear. I actually heard this before I even came on tonight. That not only obviously is Jeff uh, uh, doing, uh, from what I understand, I think Jeff, you're you're sh- uh, shoutcasting for Adepticon, is that right? Yep. Uh, so not only is Jeff not playing, which I actually really enjoy uh, uh, events where he plays, uh, especially both getting to watch him and the times we get to play. Um, I was actually really, I was like, I was for sure that that you were going to go back to the GSC, the 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 Tyranids, but I've I've been hearing more and more rumors that you are gravitating to the lure of chaos and uh yeah. and i was actually ironically i was even just talking to one of my buddies uh just a couple days ago like hey i wanted to tune in on one of the chapter tactics to see some of jeff's take on the gene stealer cults just because I, I i definitely i mean there's very few people i actually look towards when it comes to tactics with like nids and gene Stealer cult and even custodes last year um because you you do have a really uh, uh, awesome way of how you you're very meticulous and thorough, and how you piece apart a codex when you start when you're working on it, especially competitively. And so yeah, I was kind of I eventually turned I was going to turn to that, um, and so I ended up realizing that well crap I have to have to go back a little bit, and I I did because you actually did have a few episodes on where you talked about it, um, but the one that I ended up going with was uh, so I went with a pure mixed detachment uh, or a full a true mixed army. I went with a Gene Sirk detachment, a Tyranid detachment. And an Ashton Militarum detachment. I went full mix. Um, and the uh, Gene Sword detachment is a is a mixed one. It's uh, Forearmed Emperor and Rusted Claw. And uh, I'm going with the Patriarch Magus uh, with the familiars for the HQs. And I'm gearing, because Adepticon also does uh, Warlord traits, Psychic Powers, and Relics, they're all locked for the entire event. You do not get to change them between games. Um, and so... Still expecting knights and the flyers to be out there. I took the uh, big rulebook warlord trait on the patriarch, the plus one leadership, the inspiring leader. You give him leadership eleven to prep for the mental onslaught game. Um, 
the Magus is just there as a support role, also to spend some reinforcement points for summoning a couple assassin characters as needed. Uh, took 30 of the Brood Brothers Infantry Squad, the guard version, not the neophyte version. Uh, I took the Sanctus with the special relic to give the plus yeah. two wound rolls, because why wouldn't you? Um, and then I actually took 10 jackals in a single unit, all with demo charges. Um, I, I have a play that I don't know if it's going to work, but I think it might. Uh, because the jackals are the rusted claw in my army, uh, the idea that I came up with, it's like nine command points intensive, but I'm going to totally drop it out just because I, I really don't want to hide anything. Just throw it out there. Uh, the idea was to you ambush them onto the table turn two and you uh, pop the perfect ambush strat. So you do lying in wait and then you pop the perfect ambush strat to be able to uh, shoot them when they pop out rather than move D6 and you shoot to, and then you pop the grenade strat and then you pop the rusted claw grenade strat to the, get the drive-by demolitions so that you get to throw five of your demo charges and then five blasting charges Ooh. right there in the movement phase for 5d6 demo shots 5d6 blasting charges all with plus one to hit wound and then as soon as you're done with that hopefully you just blew a hole in their line you get to move 14 inches for free so then you move 14 inches deeper into their line, and then in the shooting phase, you do it again. And uh, so that was that was kind of my thought process on it. So do you do you bring vultures, or are you just like I no, don't need to do that? Nope. I actually so so that's where the guard comes in a little bit later. So I do also have a uh, in the tier detachment. I have the typical kraken detachment. It's the brood lord, neurothrope, twenty gene sores, and the rippers, just for one command points and two. I feel that I've kind of liked the fact that the Gene Stealers give a little bit of turn one pressure. So my opponent's not like, oh, well, I'm going to give you turn one just to get my blips on the table. Make them worry about giving turn one. And then the IG is a Supreme Command Attachment. So it's two company commanders, Primaris Psyker, and a Trojan support vehicle and the Bane Hammer. Ooh. Oh, well. Plus Bane... one to hit with the Trojan, right? Uh, Trojan actually it gives it reroll all hit rolls, not the oh, plus one. Oh, even better. Um, yeah, I, I actually prefer the reroll over the plus. And uh, the Bane Hammer is fully loaded, so it's got the four LAS cannons and 30 heavy bolter shots. And then the main gun is the one that's the 3d6 shots, and if you're hit by it, your unit is half movement with no advance. Ah, That'll do very well at, at Adepticon. And that's kind of my thought, being able to control the table a little bit better. And I mean, 30 heavy bolter shots, between the Bane Hammer and the 20 Gene Stealers, it was kind of my, this is my deterrent to force me to go first. If you really want to make me go first, you're going to have to deal with potentially getting charged by the Gene Stealers and shot by the Bane Hammer turn one. So it's a choice. Do you want to put my blips on the table or do you want to get hit? Uh, hopefully it's at least a choice my opponent has to wrestle with. And then on turn two, after you've dealt with, oh, and obviously the Bane Hammer, for those that don't know, has the 25 model capacity. So the two company commanders, the Primaris, Psyker, and then 20 of the infantry normally just hide out inside there. Um, and then I play fairly aggressive with the Bane Hammer. I'll normally run it up there and I'll charge with it if I have to and use the Crush'em Strat and all that jazz. And uh, you just kind of rush up and the Primary Psyker has the Terrifying Visions, Psychic Power, the Neg 2 Leadership. And then you have the Horror on the Neurothropes. You can potentially give a Neg 3 Leadership to something. And then you hit him with the Mental Onslaught from the uh, Patriarch at a Leadership 11. At that point, you're almost, what, I think it's like dice plus 4 or 5 over your opponent to try I and... Are they playing something. that full strength? 
from everything I've heard, yes, they have not restricted Jeez. that at all yet. Yes, that's exactly. So that's no assassins, but you no can assassins, do that. but you get to do that crap exactly. <laughs> so it's, and classic my, Adepticon, uh, classic Adepticon, and that's honestly for my for my mental thought was well, I know I'm going to see Castellans there because as you already mentioned, Pablo, very open line of sight terrain at Adepticon, so I'm pretty sure you're going to see some knights there and the Flyers as well. And so between those two, kind of gave me a little bit of answers for that. And then, uh, of course, there's that 10-man Jackal unit that costs about 9 command points to drop on the table turn to and pretty much double tap with them. But I'm hoping that if I double tap right with them, I mean, that's 10d6 demo charges in one turn and 10d6 blasting charges in the same turn, all with plus 1 to hit and wound. I'm kind of hoping maybe I can deal enough damage with those to be able to make it hurt. I don't mean to be pedantic, but because that sounds super cool, what does 10d6 demo charges and blast, blasting charges mean for those at home? Oh, yes. Sorry. I Thank you, Val. I apologize. <laughs> uh, so the the uh, the strats, I, I did actually just kind of blur, burn through those. I didn't really explain them a little bit. I apologize. Uh, but even just like, what do those weapons do? Uh, so the demo <laughs> charges are d6 shots each. So obviously there's the, the 10d6. They're strength 8, neg 3 AP, d3 damage. And so you figure 10 D6 of those going out in a turn, all with the plus one to hit and wound, does a little bit of work against mm-hmm. hard targets. And then the blasting charges are pretty much just frag grenades. They're uh, D6 shots, strength three, AP zero, and one damage. Yeah, and the and the, the frag grenades are, are really good. Um, or I, I forgot what the Gene Circle versions are called, but um, they're they're really good when I use them with Astro Militarum. You just roll up with a unit of ten infantry and just throw ten d six shots into something. Yeah. Um, for one CP, it's, it's usually pretty good. Uh, do do you think have you used it a lot and have you been killing like Castellans consistently with that? Or I, so with, ironically, with the I actually hammer? use it to hunt characters. Actually, I've used it to hunt quite a few characters. Where, uh, if the Bane Hammer is able to open a hole up turn one, I'll drop them in the hole turn two pick out a bunch of characters and then do the 14 inch move and pick something else. Or I'll pop out turn one and, or turn two with the jackals, blow a hole in their line to drive through it to get close to the characters and then do it again and pick out the characters. Hmm. That's pretty and, good. And it has, it has been doing really, really well at that just because it's sheer weight of dice at that point. And every failed save is D three. I mean, even, even against something that's T seven, you're still wounding on twos. Because of the strat that gives them the plus one to hit and wound. Okay. And so I, I've it's toyed. A stun a- silence over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about how I would handle that. That's um. That's always whenever I hear powerful combinations like this, I always, I always immediately think like, how would I deal with that if I was if I was playing the castle unless gonna go with grots. Lots of grots. Grots. Grots are good. Yes, grots are a good option. Uh, <laughs> the 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 part that I really I, I'll be honest, this is this is just from my as an individual perspective. I, I love the combo, don't get me wrong. I love the combo. I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, I, I think it's it's really kind of a really cool gimmick, and it, it's probably going to do a lot of damage. I'm hoping they fix it, nerf it, FAQ it, I don't know, something, because I, I feel like a 150-point unit, even if it is a glass hammer unit, which it's not really actually a glass hammer unit, because they're two wounds apiece, and they have a built-in neg one to hit. And, so, and after they get done throwing that second wave of grenades, they still get another 14-inch move after that. So you just run away. <clears throat> um, so it's not even a major glass hammer unit like a lot of the other Gene Soul units are. But even with the glass hammer unit, a 150-point unit that has the potential to do that level of damage output, just by being able to drop in three inches away and do that, I, I just I feel like that's 
in my mind, it's just, it feels undercosted. It, it feels like there's, like, maybe just make the lying and weight strat only affect infantry and not the bikes or something. I don't know. It just, it, it feels to me like, wow, this is really, really strong. Well, go pwn some noobs and then and then uh, ask for the nerf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there's a lot of really powerful stuff like that. Um, that I think I think just needs to be just seen. But I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's a really cheap unit. I think I think you're right. But it's also nine CP. That's that's a lot. It is wicked expensive at command points. It's funny yeah. how just like how a combination having a high CP cost will stop people from doing it. Like like just I I have orc centric right. So like. Watching people talk about Ludas, a lot of them don't realize they're good because they don't want to spend four or five CP a turn to like make them as good as they can be. Um, mm-hmm. So being willing to like a lot that that like nine CP outlay, even if it it's worth it, sometimes people just don't even consider it. Yeah, they 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 balk at the price. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff, last year we had Flyer and Central at Adepticon. That was that was kind of the main story of Adepticon. Uh, this year we we. We have Castle Leonari. That's the big bad of the tournament community. Um, do you think? Do you foresee something similar happening happening at this year's Adepticon, or do you see kind of like a more various meta that that we can look forward to watching? Uh, certainly more various. I do think that'll be the case. Um, but I think this will be like the last hurrah of the Leonari, and I think a lot of people know that. Um, they're really really good, but more people are kind of coming in their own on lists as far as what to take with Leonari. So I think we'll see quite a bit of that. Um, outside of that, I think you'll still see the the Castellan Guard list because it's just so darn good. Uh, nothing that has happened yeah. since LBO has changed that. Orcs are, you know, the things that have come up so far are not natural predators to that list. And if anything, Brandon Grant's just inspiring people because a lot of his games that he played, either the Castellan was kind of nullified or it was even just outright killed, but he still was able to win. That's how strong that list is. I think if Adepticon happened a month later, there would be a lot of things very, very different, right? I think Assassins are going to change the meta a lot, I think. Um, the CSM stuff that's rolling out, which I'm guessing is not legal for Adepticon, um, <laughs> would also change things quite a bit. There's a lot of people sitting on CSM that have not been able to play the way they wanted to for a long time, but after Vigilus 2, they will be able to, right? Oh, yeah. And then soon as sisters, soonish TM, soon TM, so probably 2024 or something like that. But um, <laughs> and I also think the FAQ will change things. Like uh, without giving too much away, I think you can very honestly rely on the Castellan going to only having a four plus plus. Um, it might get a point increase, but at, at the very least, you'll stop seeing knights at three plus plus. They'll probably all get capped out, and the Castellan's the big offender, uh, and that makes them a lot more reasonable. Knights are already really good. But there's just certain lists and there's certain combos that like cannot compete with a three plus plus knight. They just have to ignore it, and that makes for just a not a very fun game because it's a it's a heavy yeah. hitter. So it also has dictated the meta, right? Like it's it's hordes right now. You can't take fun big things, and that's why uh, bless Josh here. But man, if a Castellan goes first yeah. against him, that's that can. It's not like he's completely dead, but it's just it can lead to just not fun. Yep, three d three damage. He's like, oh wow, I rolled a six. What do you know? And with Raven, I'm rerolling everything, and he's like. All right, I've, you know, oh, I damaged you, so you have no save, right? And you're like, nope, okay, it just all goes through. It's dead. <laughs> yeah, the, you killed it. It's gone. <laughs> the weird thing is, is I don't know if GW can ever f- change that, right? So look, you could cap the Castellan at a six-up invuln and make it cost 700 points, and it will still always do that, as long as the it House Raven It just impacts the rest of what you have. Right now, yeah. there's a shit ton of guard that goes alongside that, and it's not like the Castellan, I don't think, is going to jump to 800 points. 
but it probably will be somewhere in the ballpark of 700. And no, it doesn't change the fact that it's going to shell that, but it takes more Castellans out of lists because it will move the needle on people being like, you know what, that's a little bit too much for my bones. I'm going to try something else. Or I've been doing a Castellan list for a whole year. Let's try something else. So it's just going to, it's just going to lower the amount of times you face them. Because right now, Josh is guaranteed to face that. So yes, hopefully 100%. it goes first or uh, it survives and misfires, all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But the idea is later in the meta, more people are like, you know what? I will take my Land Raider because it's less likely to get Castelland, and that's fun, and, and stuff like that will happen. 100%. That, I, I 100% agree point. with what you're saying. Yes, it's it's like I put this in the list knowing that what the, when I write this list, I have to write this list with the knowledge that I am going to face a Castellan. Not if I face a Castellan. I am going to face a Castellan. And when I do, and it kills this tank turn one, can I still play the game? And if I can't, the list isn't worth a shit. Forgive mm-hmm. me. Sorry. Um, but that's, he's 100% right. The entire, it, the presence of the Castellan in the, in the form that it has been in has completely shaped the meta. Every single time I'm, I'm, someone comes to me and asks me list advice, like, hey, can you look at this list? And I turn to him and say, what do you do when you fight a Castellan? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, we'll start over then. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's because it's not, again, it's not if he's, uh, Jeff is 100% right. It's not if I fight a Castellan, it's when, because it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope, I, I hope that everything Jeff said is right. Um, where it shifts the meta in a direction away from the Castellan, but not too far away from the Castellan. Um, really yes. interested to see the post adeptical meta. If you own a Castellan, you'll still be able to use it. It's just that you're going to have a few less bodies. You're going to have to rewrite your list a little bit. And if you put in your list your ability to kill a Castellan at a 4 plus plus, you'll more reliably do that, right? Because remember, a Castellan still has a strategy to act at the top shelf. So yeah. it was that combo that in particular was just nasty because somebody could do like 19 or 20 damage and they're like, all right, next turn, maybe I'll have a chance. And they're like, top shelf, Raven. And what was that that hit me? It's gone. And it's gone. Like, Jesus Christ. Okay. And then you can't <laughs> touch it ever again. And the strategy for it to act at top shelf is one command point. So it's... Uno mas. Yeah. So a lot of times what happens is they Raven twice, and that's a lot, and then they just top shelf if it comes to that, and nobody even shoots the missile anymore because it's too much, right? So they just <laughs> they just berate you with the, the Castellan in general. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to, to, to kind of split off into another Adepticon story that I've been following, uh, and this is, this is a lot lighter, uh, just something news for everyone. So Sean Naden is selling his LVO Eldar list. Uh, th- this is a, his Twice in a year in a row, best overall Eldar list. Um, it's very beautifully painted. Um, he's selling it, and he's moving on to another army. Uh, maybe for ETC, I don't know. Um, but if you guys have heard about that, do you guys have any speculation on that? Is, is Does that mean that he'll answer a question about it now? You know, I don't know. I, I asked him a question about I asked him that specific question. He didn't get back to me. But... Uh, <laughs> um, just just some interesting just an interesting little Adepticon storyline that that I'm I'm kind of looking forward to. It'll be the last hurrah of the witches and uh, Everine get Sean Naden list that Sean Naden's been rocking for the last two years. Um, so this is something I'm going to follow along. Hmm. Uh, are there any other interesting storylines that you guys are looking forward to to Adepticon before we move on? Um, board control, sparse terrain sounds a lot like the European meta. So I'd be I'd be curious to see if kind of like last year where a lot of like the tropes of the European scene wound Crept up top in. table. Yep, well, here's a question: yep. Are they allowing beta rules? Right? They're, tell me they are. They're not going to yes, block that. They are. Okay. Then they forge are. the custody stuff should change quite a bit. Yes. And you're going to see Telemans, which are really funny. 
Uh, they're incredibly good, but you're going to see that guy that's got three of them with the shield captain in the middle of it. Interesting choice of words, funny. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you have a vehicle, it's gone if they run yeah. three Telemans, which is... Uh, Jeff, which one is the Telemann again for, for us non-Custodes players? It's a tough eight, two up save, four up invul, six up field of pain, dreadnought, that puts out four shots, strength nine, minus four, three damage, reroll against vehicles. What's the range on those? 72. Uh, oh, range of, it's a range right. of yes. Okay. <laughs> cannot hide and at Adepticon there is no hiding anyways uh, then they have they just the Forgeful stuff's incredible oh uh, god it is there's gonna be I already know a guy that's running or I heard it's actually our very own abuse puppy that knows the guy but somebody has three Orions which is ridiculous but <laughs> oh, no. each one can put out strength uh, at least six 30 shots hitting on twos yep. each one with varying de- de- degrees of de- um you know, minus one, minus two, and then one or two damage. But so does, actually, he pour, does he pour the dice directly on the enemy's models? You'd just... have to. Yeah, you just have to just <laughs> chuck it at the models and just knock them over, Billy. Just get it off the table. I have a little insight into that list, actually. Um, Go ahead. It was my list. Oh, you were going to do it. Yes. Uh, the, the All three of them got held up in customs and didn't arrive in time. There you go. Yes. Mm. I, I, was, I was honestly, because of the terrain... And and the the missions the way they were I was like you know what well, sure this sounds fun uh, my wife let me have a really awesome present after our tax return this past year and I said you know what I love the custodes I've always loved them and then I saw those models and they're awesome as heck and I was like mm-hmm. you know what I'm gonna buy three of them I'm gonna paint them up I'm gonna run them a tournament and then I'm gonna sell two of them and keep one and uh, that was kind of my big master plan I was gonna take it to Adepticon but I unfortunately did not get them because they saw this giant package come through customs and they're like, yeah, we need to molest this package for a bit. China doing the Lord's work, keeping the Orion gunship keeping out of going. Chicago. <laughs> keeping it going. <laughs> um, Keep those $20 Orion gunships off the table. Oh God, if they were $20, it'd be amazing. Uh, but they have yeah, a lot of good stuff. <laughs> the but yeah, this is incredible. It moves 16 inches. It can hold yes. objectives really well. There's a lot of gravitic backwash to minus two to charge if you, if you um, target them. And then also the Tanglefoot grenade is another minus D6. So the army can become unchargeable, which is an incredibly underrated mechanic. Because um, oh, a lot so of people, good. if you're counting on a charge and then you just are sitting there, custodians don't have a whole lot of shooting, but with the forgeful stuff, they all of a sudden do. And the shooting that they have is like multi-damage shooting, so mm. you just kind of go away. Yeah, There's going to be custodians. And, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so uh, let's go ahead and move into uh, uh, the final topic, the chess clock topic. Uh, I don't know what what it's Adepticon's policies will be on chess clocks. Um, I know they last year they one. just said no. Yeah, I, I kind of figured it, Adepticon is the kind of tournament that would maybe shy away from something like that. Um, so uh, w- which is to say a knock on Adepticon. It's just the way it is. Uh, if you are bringing a chess clock to Adepticon, a, uh, for example, Josh, are you bringing a, a chess clock to Adepticon? I am. I bring it with me from now on, ever since uh, LVO. Okay, so the reason why I wanted to bring this topic up is a couple of viewers have, or listeners uh, have emailed me specifically where they played a finals game in a, a GT. So this isn't a little RTT. It was a GT, 28, 30 people, uh, and they they lost or, or their opponent lost, uh, and there was 10 minutes left in the round, and either a chess clock was used, but chess clock rules weren't enforced, or a chess clock was was used for half the match and then forgotten about, or a chess clock wasn't used at all. Uh, either way, uh, these three patrons in particular, or listeners in particular, were 
uh, angry or upset about the fact that uh, the games ended with either one person timing out or one person not having enough time to finish the rest of their final turn and then losing because of it. Uh, so, Josh, when would you deal with people who are inexperienced with chess clocks who have never used them, which I imagine you will you will meet at Adepticon? Oh yeah. How how do you go about explaining the chess clock to your opponent? So I actually had it happen uh, for two of my games at uh, LVO where I got opponents that were not, they'd never really used them, weren't very familiar with them. Um, and we ended up, so the first turn of the game, I pretty much did a lot of the time for them, like, because like, I'm used to hitting it, so, like, I'll hit it for them because they forgot it, so I'll reach over and hit it for them. Um, I try and explain, that before we even go into it, I explain the whole concept of it. Um, the big ones for me that I really make sure I emphasize is, you know, hey, you need to make sure, you know, when you're doing this, and it was more just kind of, try to prep them for later rounds if they obviously make it further and it was more of a deal for them. Um, they need to make sure that they're watching their time. They're using their time. Like, you know, if, if you're done, if your opponent rolls a bunch of hits and, or you roll a bunch of hits and you hand, you know, it's your opponents are having to roll saves and take wounds and stuff, make sure you reach over and hit the clock. Cause it's, you know, it's on you. Cause that's their time that, that they're using now, not yours. Um, and then the big one I told them is not to the, the one that I really emphasize a lot is not to sweat it. Don't sweat the clock. Just play your game. Most of the time, if you're playing your game and you're focused on playing your game, it's not really going to be an issue. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's when, and I've noticed this, and this is actually why I've been using the clock myself more. I have a tendency to really do a lot less of the, let's do a 15-minute side conversation about this one game I played way back when. And, and those conversations seem to go away when I have that clock there because now I'm like, oh, wait, we need to play a game here. That's what we're here to do. We can shit and talk and go get a beer later but I really need to focus on the game right now. And I've noticed having the clock there helps me kind of focus that in. And I've, and I've noticed as long as that focus is there, we're actually playing the game. It doesn't really come into an issue 90% of the time. So, um, so Jeff, uh, what do you think, what do you think is mainly like the main reason why people were kind of moving away or are kind of resistant to chess clocks? We, we've had them for a year now. Um, and we still have these issues pop up, which actually I found kind of shocking. Uh, because whenever I'm in an important game, or, or pretty much most games that I play in when I use chess clocks, um, we never go to time, we never have an issue with time, um, and it's usually fine, uh, but there are still people having issues with the chess clock. So why do you think people are so resistant to the chess clock change, and what do you think maybe people aren't getting about the chess clock? Well, I, I would first and foremost say I was wrong. I, I, we go back to the pre-LVO, I was talking about it being some kind of apocalyptic event where I think there's going to be people that... Like countless people had a really bad time. It really wasn't the case. There, of course, were people that were upset, but it actually mo mostly went very smoothly, which I think is amazing. I think the reason people are still having an issue with it is because it's a degree of seriousness that is still probably weird for people. You're always in Warhammer. You're going to have that guy that has like his phone in a holster and he's got his tape measure like strapped to a thigh gun like thing. And he's, <laughs> this is I guy, should do that straight up. This is the guy that's going to have like. I painted my models 26 years ago, and I'll be damned if I spend more money doing it. So, like, when you talk to that guy about a chess clock, he kind of scoffs and says that they used to use sundials and shit like that. So there's always just going to be a, a number of people at tournaments that they're just not familiar with it, and it's a level of try-hard that makes them uncomfortable, because then it gets into this, like, the nebulous WYSIWYG, or, you know, or not WYSIWYG, but uh, when it all costs. They're like, oh my god, like, you want to use a clock? Why don't we just feel out the game? Um, but then when you play with it, like Josh just said, you end up seeing that it's like really not a thing at all. Um, and most people, too, kind of keep each other. It's not a gotcha thing. They're like, hey, man, just so you know, you got 25 minutes. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we've got two turns, right? And like, yeah, but just, you know, 
You gotta be quick, because I don't want you to see you run out of it. If you say shit like that, you're not gonna have a problem. It's when it's like, nobody talks about it, and it's kind of weird, and both people are un- uncomfortable with it. And then at the end, they're like, oh, you, you're out of time, and I've got 30, so... And they're just like, what? And you're like, oh, okay. So that's on the judge, it's on the TO, and I think if everyone's clear, and then it's on the players to kind of... It's a it's a co-optional, like, the two of you are working with this thing, as opposed to it's a weapon against one of them. That I'm I'm so glad you used that word, because that's... That's that was the big thing I was like myself. I was even somewhat trepidatious going into LVO because I was worried about that exact thing. I was like, you know, uh, because I've had some games in the past with with opponents where I feel like time is my enemy in these games and my opponent is using that against me as a weapon. And I was worried about that. I was worried about walking to LVO and I'm going to get that one opponent that's actually going to find a way to weaponize the clock against me. And I, and I know that that term had been used a few times and I was so happy to be wrong this is one of the few times i've been overjoyed to be wrong in my life because it was not that at the lvo at all uh i had the clock on every single game and it was exactly what jeff just said where it was you know even there was a there was one game i had where the clock actually became like the clock came into play we we didn't even make it past turn four and so the clock did come into play but it came into play in that we were both pretty much the same time the whole way down. Like we got we got to the point where he finished his turn four, I finished my turn four, and we were both just under that like right under that ten minute mark or something like that. And it, you know that rule came in where if you're both under ten minutes, and there was ironically less than twenty minutes left in the round. It amazing how it lined up. Uh, we ended up having to call the game right there, and it was it. But it wasn't a situation where like we were watching the clock like okay okay if he if he takes another fifteen seconds and uh, I don't say anything. I'll get him with this. It, it wasn't like that at all. It, it was it was very much we were talking out like, okay, well, let's just talk out this combat real quick and go ahead and okay, take your turn. It it was really uh, relieving to see it like that. One of the coolest things about having something as big as LVO is, you know, you have 700 and something players from around the world, certainly every corner of the United States, uh, come out and chess clocks are a thing there. And I think the number one problem with chess clocks is people who haven't used chess clocks because it's this new thing and warhammer is incredibly resistant to any significant change and so one of the things i've really enjoyed is just comments exactly like uh what what josh has said what jeff said which is i thought it was gonna be a big deal but then it wasn't because that's that's the reality of once you actually play a few games with a chess clock is that it's it's not a big deal um and so i've seen guys who've gone back to like you know uh, you know, back to the UK or even back up, up here to Canada. And they, ha- when they left, were, you know, very dubious about the idea of being on a timed game. And when they came back, they carry chess clocks now or they're, they're surprised or like wish the tournaments that they played and used them. Because once you realize that an equitable distribution of time makes the game so much better and fairer and quicker and more efficient yeah. and you actually get games done and you don't have to worry about screwing your opponent over because you take too long... Uh, and you don't have to worry about your opponent screwing you because he takes too long. Um, chess clocks are a great equalizer. And so that's, I think LVO kind of interestingly has, because the other thing too is like a lot of the people who go there are like, they're going to be in a lot of cases, you know, the most motivated uh, players from their area. They're going to be the people who, you know, want to get up and go to a big tournament out in Vegas, you know, so they're probably people that other players will look to and maybe be a little bit more open to trying out a chess clock because it's, not a big deal, guys. It's super awesome. And uh, my only thing about introducing people to chess clocks is to say, because a lot of people get really hung up on this idea of hitting the clock back and forth. Because 
until you actually are doing that, you don't realize that yeah, the amount of times where that interaction, that game passing back and forth happens, especially in rapid succession, is actually quite slim. Warhammer's an I go, you go scenario. Yeah. Um, so I always say when I'm setting up, look, you own your time. Okay. If you want to hit the, the thing over to me every time I'm using a second of it, hit it over to me. If you don't care enough to, to do that and you want me to just roll my saves because it stresses you out to flip the clock back and forth, that's on you. That's just you control your time. So I don't know. I can't think of a more egalitarian way to, to solve the problem of slow play and and uh, just what is just to me just such a simple, <laughs> such a simple problem to yeah. solve. And I'm glad to see the resistance melting away as people are actually getting to events that not only ha- not only make you use them, but have them available, encourage people to practice with them. I think the tide is turning on it. And I, I've actually yeah. been seeing oh, – I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bob. Go ahead. Uh, I've actually been seeing uh, – there's been a few guys, a uh, couple groups over here on the East Coast that have actually not gone to an event when they found out they were not using clocks. Uh, there's been a couple groups, smaller groups out here that I've noticed I've been chatting with, and they actually chose not to go to an event because they're like, oh, they're not using clocks? No, thanks. Uh, we'll, we'll just not go to that one. And that actually made me really happy to see that it's it's taken up enough of a footing that they'd, they'd rather have it, knowing that the you know whatever their view of the integrity of the event or whatever you want to call it is, is going to be there. Yeah. It's not the boogeyman we thought. It's gonna. It is gonna lead to some feels bad moments um, for some people, but you know, and that's those emails. Like, it's not to invalidate that. That's that's absolutely real. It's just uh, like anything else. Warhammer, I believe that begins with the kind of social contract of the two players. Just go into it and be like, "Hey, I'm unfamiliar with the clock. You mind helping me with that?" And if they're a total douche about it the entire time, then say, "Hey, one second, go get a judge and just be like, can you please watch our game? It's it's a little bit contentious. The clock's kind of freaking me out, and I'd love it if you could help.'" And then that, if that second tier, if the judge looks at you and says, you're an idiot and like throws a hot dog at you, then I guess you're at a <laughs> shitty tournament or you're having a bad experience and that can happen. You are at a shitty tournament. But what I'm telling <laughs> you is it's, yeah, yeah, probably. it's unlikely to happen. It's probably not going to go that way. Warhammer people are generally really nice. And as long as you're talking about it and expressing yourself clearly, it should be okay. Yeah. And I think you you do a lot of, you, you talk a lot about, um, especially before the chess clock, about, you know, that ownership of. You know, if you want, yeah, I just want to finish this game and like laying, you know, clear terms down and having to be, you know, upfront about that and hurrying people along if it comes down to it. Well, now you have a clock who does that for you. So like all you have to do is assert yourself with an, with an inanimate object and, and make use of that tool. And it's going to, you know, mediate that uncomfortable, you know, tug and pull on, on, on the use of time throughout the yeah. game. So. This yeah. it's it's at this time too that we remind humanity, and this is like weird that we have to. We'll do this forever, but if a, if a fucking school bus pulled up and Ray Charles opens the door and he's like, "Get on board," I would say no. I would be like, "I don't want to ride the bus with Ray Charles as the driver, a very talented musician and probably a fully capable human man, but as a bus driver, not really great." So if you bring ninety pox walkers and thirty uh, you know bases of nurgle nurglings and you're like I just I love turn two that's how far I want to get you're gonna lose <laughs> that game you're gonna lose because your opponent's gonna be like all right your clock's gonna run out at turn two they're gonna have forty five minutes left and you're gonna be in trouble and I hear this all the time people are like well that's gosh darn it I like to play at my pace and how dare you tell me I can't take whatever army I want at a tournament there's rules in place where it's supposed to try and make it fair for both people. So if you're a slower player that took a slow army, you need to plan accordingly or 
bring a list that you can play very fast or at least finish the game with because if you really hate that moment where the clock showed you to be a douche uh, and they have 45 minutes left and you have none, then that's just the way it's going to go. And and the only thing that changed is it used to be hidden before, right? It used to be that you took up most of the time yeah. in the game and your opponent just felt like that was the case, but they didn't have proof. Now they got proof. So stop doing that. <laughs> And now you lose instead of winning a game you should Right, have. yes. And I, I hate, I mean, uh, that's the funniest part, too, because people make that argument. I'm like, flip it on its head. You literally buried that guy in time, and it's not a strategy. You, you took it for yourself. The guy traveled. He brought an army just like you, but you decided you wanted more time to play, and that hurt them. That's that's not cool. So, come on. Yeah, and so to kind of to kind of tie up everything was said into a neat little bow, um, Basically, responsible chess clock use is good for the game overall, especially at tournaments. Uh, and as, as for the final game, uh, you, if you're unfamiliar with chess clock rules, and, and I, I think that not every 40k tournament game is created equal. If you're if you're playing, you know, round six against a guy with old Mally, you're both 0 and 5. <laughs> a chess clock's probably not going to be uh, important in that game. You know, it'll right. probably be a fun game. But if you're playing as as these viewers or these listeners emailed in, if you're playing in the top round of an event before you even go into the event, you should you should get a chess clock you should you should make sure to either familiarize yourself or familiarize your opponent with the rules get the to if if there's some sort of discretion or or if you don't know what the exact chess clock rules are remember this is the final tur- game at a tournament this is to decide who wins this is for all the marbles this is what your name you're you're fighting for ability to get your name called out on a potentially on a future chapter tactics episode it's a yeah. big deal practice like practice with a chess clock even if you play your tournament without one will make you a faster player and yes. it's a twenty dollar investment in a game where we spend twenty bucks on nothing. And you know, my second investment to speed up my play is twelve more mega knobs. That's much more expensive. So <laughs> just get the chess clock and play faster. Uh don't be like me. Yes, yeah. yes, but like I said, it's also not the boogeyman. Like if you ask your opponent to please help you with it, I there's like I don't know, there's like one person maybe that I could name that would be like, I'm not comfortable with that. Or be a dick about it. Like everyone's gonna be like, yeah, sure, man. Like everyone is. I mean, obviously, if this is 2026 and we've had chess clocks for seven years, someone's gonna look at you and be like, uh, no. Like you need, to, <laughs> you should have figured this out by now. But it's still new. Everyone's gonna help everybody. Yeah, and, and to to speak towards those individual um, happenings, because I I kind of answered them all um, the same. But to anyone listening to this who maybe had a similar problem or the same problem. Uh, the stock answer I gave all of them, besides all of this stuff, which was really good, um, was a- an hour left in the round. You should keep an eye on the time with your chess clock. An hour left in the round, look at how much time is on the chess clock. If you guys have been using it, even semi-responsibly, it should give you an accurate representation of the time left. Uh, talk to your opponent. Say, hey, at 15 minutes left in the round, we got to figure out how to split this time properly. And just, just kind of an hour left in the round. Boom. That's when you should talk to your opponent briefly about where where the direction of the game is going to go. If your opponent has like eight minutes left on their time, tell them. Be like, hey, you've got eight minutes left in your time. There's an hour left in the round. Like, you know, come on. So, so anyways, brief, brief, aside all this thing, to actually, when you're actually using the chess clock, brief tip, hour left in the round, look at the chess clock, look at the time left, and talk to your opponent. Just, if you follow that benchmark and use the chess clock appropriately. What, what, what are you suggesting happens at that point if I've blown... Well, down to eight minutes, and there's an hour left. Are you saying that my opponent should give me some of his time then? 
Well, I'm 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 saying that you should. Uh, the reason why I pick an hour left, I, I know it's kind of an arbitrary number. I, I say it because if you don't give people a set time, if you don't tell people like, hey, you should. But the clock is point. the time. That's right. We don't have to talk. We don't have to look at the clock. You're the clock's weird, already Pablo. telling us. You're getting a little weird right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you I don't got, understand. You've got eight minutes left, and I've got an hour. Let's just notice that. And he's like, all right. So, so the point <laughs> of that. rubbing it in. The, the point <laughs> of what, that. What you, that what you could moment. do. What you could do, though, at that moment. Like, I mean, God forbid you actually got to this point in the round where, yeah. like, I've got an hour left, and my opponent only it has eight minutes. an extreme. Minutes. You know, but God forbid I had, have gotten to that point where he only has eight minutes left. At this point, you know, assuming. Obviously, through this through this game, I've I've realized that my opponent doesn't have a obviously familiar grasp of using the clock. He's not used to it or whatever. You know, this is one of those times where I could take that advantage of that time. Like, hey, you know, you only have eight minutes left, and I get it. That's that's rush and that's that's crunch. You know, it's rough for you. But there's things you can do in your turn. Like example, maybe you don't want to shoot that unit because it's not going to help you. Maybe if we do this combat here, one of the options you can do is you can say, hey. Uh, I'm going to let you choose the outcome of this combat. You know, there are ways put in there for, hey, I want to get my turn done in 30 seconds. I want to do that. They're, they're, you know, educate them. Take that, just take a couple minutes and kind of okay. tell your opponent. I think, I think I got a missing so, piece of the puzzle. Are you, is it because so the, the person with eight minutes, <laughs> no, no, is no. it because the person with eight minutes has forgotten to flip the time back? Is that why they only have eight minutes? <laughs> so, so the point of all of this is you should pick a time before literally the round ends 10 minutes before the round ends to talk with your opponent about the time left and plan accordingly if you guys only think you're only get to turn four talk to your opponent be like hey i think we're only going to get to turn four your opponent might say nah we've got x and x time i think we can get to turn five and turn six and then at least you and your opponent are on the same page the main problem with these with with these finals at these gts is that it came down to the last five or ten minutes when both players acknowledged the time and looked at the time. So and didn't the, have clocks. They so two of them did have clocks. One of them didn't have a clock, but they realized that they should have had a clock, so they tried to get a clock involved, and it it sounded messy. Um, okay, that, that, that did that sound, sound messy. messy. <laughs> it sounds it sounds sounds really. But the point is, is that they all could have been prevented if they had take picked the time before literally ten minutes left in the round to talk about the time and and figure out. You know who who has what so much time? What are we going to do if we get down to the final ten minutes? So that which which is my point is you pick a time before, and I, I like to do an hour. Uh, pick a time before literally ten minutes before the round ends to talk to your opponent briefly about the direction of the game and the pace of the game. Just just something simple. Like, the reason I'm I'm belaboring this I'm, is is that like if I have, if we're playing a clocked timed game, I don't care that there's an hour left in the round. I care how much I have left on my half of the clock. And that's why clocks are good. I don't have to talk about it. If I'm inexperienced and my opponent has been laughing to himself while my clock ticks down, well, then he's a dick. And I don't know how to solve that necessarily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, like, no, like, I I gotta just contradict you here, man. Like, there's nothing to talk about. That's why the clock's there. Yep. Mm. Well, we're avoiding avoiding talking about time by having the chess clock. I would only I would only compliment that with. Let's get away from specific examples and just talk to your opponent. I don't, mm. I don't yeah, set right up a time. There. I don't go like if you're down to 15 minutes, we need to have a conversation about how the last 15 minutes goes. Like, no, nah, before the game starts, I look at my opponent and say, "I really want to finish this game." And my opponent usually goes, "Sure, that's great." And then if they're getting slow in there with a clock, to Val's point, I don't have to say anything. If they really want to fuck themselves, they can. But if it seems like they're a novice and they don't really know what's going on, I'll be like, "Hey, just as a reminder, you're getting low on time. You probably want to consider speeding up." And then I keep uh, that yeah. as yeah. a verbal contract because I don't want to ever be like, and you're dead. 
Nice. So you're out of time. I've got 30. We're just going to go ahead and watch me score, and you're going to go pack up your shit. And they're going to be like, well, I don't feel good about this. So I think that's what Pablo's getting at, but I don't like the specific examples of like, at 45 minutes, you and I are going to have a conversation. So, so, so this, this is just, yeah, and this might just be me, um, weird Pablo-ness, but I do like having like a checkpoint around that time where, where I go, okay, look at the time, look at our chess clock, look at the game state, check. Is it somewhere where we're going to have an issue in 45 minutes or not? Um, you know, maybe don't always have like a long talk with your opponent, or maybe don't even have a conversation with your opponent. That's just a, a thing, a mannerism that I do that uh, works for me. Mm. All right. So, hey, Pop, do you mind if I, 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 I did actually have a question if, if you're not in a hurry to move on to this? It's just something I sure. wanted to ask. It's actually, Jeff, if you don't mind fielding it, mm-hmm. something you mentioned earlier that I, I, it's something that has been actually weighing on me since I made the decision to run Gene Circle at the Adepticon. Um, one of the things that uh, you, you mentioned earlier about the the, the social contract, right? There, there's, yeah. It's a big thing in, in 40K, and uh, especially with where 40K has gone and where it's going. The social contract is a big thing. And one of the things that I have heavily tried fixing, I guess, whatever you want to say, uh, something I've tried working on myself in my own gameplay, is there's this, there's this thing, and I'm sure the internet has 80 different terms for it, but that the, the gotcha moment, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Okay? And... One of my biggest struggles that I've had since I started coming up with this Gene Circle list is it, it almost feels to me like this army is trying to thrive on that concept of the gotcha. And my question to you is, because I know you've run a lot of Gene Star Cult, and you've run a, a lot of Tyranids over the years, and Gene Star Cult, even in 7th edition, had a lot of those, like the shenanigans and the tricksy plays and stuff. How did you approach that in a game like you, know, you step up to the opponent, and obviously you, your opponent first words out there about this. I've never played Gene Sword Cult. What am I looking? What am I in for? How did you approach that? Because you to not leave your opponent feeling that. Well, what the hell? I wish I would have known that. If I known that, I would have played it. Right. You know that whole feeling. How do you approach that? So the uh, podcast exclusive dirty answer that I think a lot of us know, but is it's worth mentioning is like first and foremost, if you if you play someone that's not familiar with your army, you're probably not playing a super top general. Uh, they're, they're maybe very <laughs> good. I'm sure that they're, you know, competent or whatever. They try really hard. That's cool. Um, but you can probably spend a couple of minutes explaining some of the gist of it. So you don't coach them to a victory. You don't say stuff like, here is the exact strategy that I'm looking to optimize. This stratagem's huge, but it can get shut down by this. And this unit is really, he's strong, but he's really weak. And here's a way you can get on top of him. You don't say that shit, but you say like, my Genestar Colt has a lot of tricks. It's got some deployment stuff. I cannot charge you turn one unless you get too close to me. That's one of the things. Uh, it moves very fast. It's very glass cannony. Uh, and then here's a couple of stratagems, if you're not familiar, that are very strong. And you just kind of give them that. Cool. You, you preempt that by saying, are you familiar with Genestar Colt? Or in this case, you know, or something else. And if they say, yeah, I've got an idea. You don't go, well, hang on. Let me, just... <laughs> okay, listen, let me tell you really what's going on. Uh, but if they say, no, I have no idea at all. Again, you're probably not playing Sean Naden or something like that. So you can give them some idea of this so that they can have less of a, a terrible experience, right? Yeah. Uh, very often with Gene Circle, you're still going to have that bad experience, especially back in 7th when I played them a lot. Because they just when they when things work for them, they hit really fucking hard. And if you're a good general, then you've just scalpeled their ability to stop those things from happening or, or their kickback. Yeah. So it's a problem. And that's why I always do take the time to kind of ask, do you, are you familiar with this? Here's what it is. But if they say, "Oh yeah, I know," then no, I don't. 
I don't they walk them through what happens. And I, I appreciate, I, I honestly appreciate you fielding that for me because it's just, it's actually something I have been struggling with for the last week or so. And I just kind of wanted your take on it while I had to. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was having a good chuckle when you were like, you know, it just kind of feels like kind of a gotcha list, you know, what with the automatically killing a knight with a psychic power. <laughs> yeah, and the, exactly. And the and the twenty d six demo charges in his yes. face. That, there's just something off about <laughs> it, Jeff. Can you can you help right. me? <laughs> there's a lot of gotcha in there. Uh, yes, yes, and that's, and that's honestly, Gene Sierra Colt, though. Like again, if if and that's why I'm a little bit boohoo about him. Like the prepared general, the. The person that's got the stuff ready for him. If you shut down the Gene Circle stuff, if you don't make those charges, you're done. Like Josh List gets a little bit further away from that, so it's nice and it's a little bit less RNG in that way. But all the lists that I write are like, you know, I'm really trying to get that charge off of the aberrants, or I, I really need uh, these acolytes to cut through that. And I need to get through that chafe so that I can have a decent charge. And then a couple of times, five fucking scouts decide to hold on to their lives like you've never seen somebody hold on to, and you're like, <laughs> I guess I'm dropping turn three, and then turn three doesn't really happen, or the Phobo stuff comes out, and now it's hard to drop anyways. And you're like, this is really frustrating. So it's a little bit hard, but and that's why I don't feel bad when things do go off. All right. Thank you, Bob. Do we have any, Appreciate that. Do, no problem. <laughs> do, do we have any final final comments, concerns on chess clocks before we move on? I think Use we said, them. just just reiterating, they're not the boogeyman. Like There's, there's a bunch of people that are... Uh, like Josh was saying, like some people won't go to tournaments if they hear they're there, they will or whatever. It's it's really for the top tier players. If you're good enough, that's why I was kind of surprising out those emails. Like if you're good enough to be in the finals of a GT, and you're really upset about the clock, who'd you get mad at? Because it's it's a fucking clock. It just tells time. So like, mm-hmm. if you're if yeah, you're there's... having a tough time clicking it back and forth, and that's that's a communication thing between the two guys. Because we don't have this story yet. Alex Harrison hasn't tried it, I don't think, where he's like slamming the guy's <laughs> clock and then he's like, no, it's your turn. He's like, no, it's not. And he had, or he, you know, we don't have that story, so it's all fine. <laughs> Glass of water on the button. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Mal, um, you went that? there. I have an hour hey. and 45 <laughs> and you're out of time. That's crazy. Well, <laughs> I would say, actually, just I would love a little closing thing. For me, um, something that's very helpful is, and, and I don't think anyone's ever done this on purpose, but. If you are hitting the time over, like just say something. Like even if it's even if it's your turn to pass it over, I think it's good etiquette to be like clock to you or yeah, you know, just hand it off in an in an explicit way because it's easy. It is easy in the flow of the game to forget it's there. Well, let me advertise. Uh, this. Ultimately, it's on you to control your own clock, but that is a good piece of etiquette to help people remember you, that it's there. The top you mean eight. You don't silently press it and then put it in a building out of line of sight. <laughs> And just leave it there. The top eight of Adepticon will be streamed by Warhammer TV, and there will be clocks. And uh, take a watch. Watch how they so, handle it. It's mostly a non-factor. So, so Jeff, I want to talk about that briefly. So, I, I remember at Thelvio there were not chess clocks. I believe they were they were the boogeyman. Um, was that true or no? I, at Thelvio, there was clocks. Okay, there were clocks on stream. You sit in the office the with clock. Reese. You didn't know there was clocks at Thelvio. <laughs> Well, I had a camera on the clock. It was awesome. There was a camera on the clock. Okay, I didn't yeah. watch. I didn't watch. I was busy at the LVO, unfortunately. Oh wow! Um, Steve yeah. Hark. Oh, yeah. What? I know. Um, <laughs> I like how that excuse comes in. Like all of us were not busy at the LVO or something like that. We're like, <laughs> I was sitting on my ass. I didn't know there was a clock. I I was doing stuff. Like, okay. <laughs> um, I was in my hotel uh, jerking uh, off for the, six the reason days. Why, I guess. The reason why I brought <laughs> the reason why I brought it up is um. Is I I remember a conversation that we had where it seemed like GW was maybe resistant to the chess clock. Yes. Um. But but I I didn't know if that was still the case or what the deal was there. Well, let's do this, um, Pablo. So we don't give Reese a lot of compliments on the show for obvious reasons. His head is actually 
it qualifies as gigantism. I didn't want to come out and say it, but it is. Uh, that being said, credit where credit's due, GW was reticent to clocks because it does. It is another step in the direction of competitive Warhammer and too serious and stuff like that. And like I said, there are people that are just very uncomfortable with that. But Reese kind of put his foot down. I was like, no, no. If we're going to take this thing to the next stage, we need to do this. And guess what? Like I said, at the LVO, yes, there's some bad stories. But even the bad stories are more just like learning curve as opposed to mm-hmm. someone brought a cuckoo mm-hmm. clock and they did, they both didn't know how to work it and it killed you know a guy's tournament or something like that. That's not really what happened. It's just people still learning the etiquette and stuff of it. It went off really well and it kept games pretty good. And we did not really have games decided by clocks that much. I mean, again, it's, it did happen, so... Please, in the comments, don't be like, Jeff, actually, round four, table 132, all right? His name was Kevin Smitty. And, uh, no, like, I don't want to, I know it happened. The point is, it did not crush people's hopes and dreams. And as we go further in tournaments, it's going to get more and more streamlined and better, and everyone's going to be happy. More yeah. more importantly, in that in that last little bit, you just made uh, a great idea come to life, which is hobbying up your chess clock. Oh man! Perhaps like a cuckoo clock yeah, or other forms of clock, grim dark clocks. <laughs> I mean, guys, there's a, a dick whole... that comes out. Yeah, what man. We're not Zincha Slanesh. Sorry. So many put options. That, put that on the stream. Hobby up those clocks. Actually, not just a dick, also a vagina. Let's be fair. Both, oh no! Both of them. I want to be, t- be tapping the tits back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We can jiggle right. a little. <laughs> we're we're, we're in the weeds now, guys. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> if you guys, if is you guys really like this episode, bush? Nurgle one just opens uh, up and a fart comes out like it's just a fart machine. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys have more chess clock customization ideas, email them to me frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail dot com or sign up for Patreon. Hop into the Facebook group, ask us some questions, show us your awesome models, your tournament prowess, all that stuff. At the end of every episode, we like to field some questions from the patrons, so I'm going to start that off with uh, my Mr. Part of every episode, I think. Chris. Uh, they'll be brief, Jeff, I promise. Chris. No, no, it's not that. It's it's the questions that people come up with. They're like, all right, so listen, I'm having a tough time killing a Swarm Lord. How do? And you're like, what? All right, so, so uh, we, we've got a narrow good one just for you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, Chris would like to know, if you could make one change to the main core rules of the 40K, what would it be and why? Brilliant. Game's perfect. We, we, we've solved it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Main core mechanic. It's like, I think there should be more defensive play. I don't like uh, terrain just being plus ones kind of boring to me. It's also funny because I can't say much because I, I know what's coming. So it's like, what core mechanic would you change? <laughs> I'm like, uh, let me prepare. minds know. want to know, Jeff. Yeah. PR rep is in the background just hitting you upside the head right now. Here's my core mechanic. <laughs> Forge World needs to produce a Dominatrix or Biotitan Terranid. Boom. Boom. Mm. You, you heard it here first, folks. So, uh, uh, mine real quick is, is uh, and Jeff, pretty much said it i'd like the terrain rules to be updated and or, or flushed out in some way basically we complain about them every podcast for two years so yeah all right uh mr valen josh mm. val go ahead bro oh this was an open question uh yeah. okay flyers i think um i've always been annoyed at the fact that a flyer's base interacts with the table mm-hmm. i have no idea how you solve that problem i have no good ideas 
But uh, I think flyers could be tweaked to be more unique and um, less obstructive to the stuff on the tabletop. Hmm. I, I, I can see that. I like that. All right, next question. Uh, th- how do you keep track of things like opponents' command points and making sure the opponent is using the chess clock correctly? So we're going to – the second part of that question is ignore that. Uh, but how do you keep track of things like your opponent's command points, their uh, the psychic powers that they use, especially if the opponent's like maybe newer or, or, or maybe they're disorganized? Uh, how do you keep track of all I that? I can take this one. Sure. And I'll tell you what. There's a visual aid. So if you want to hunt down – my final match against Alex Harrison at the London GT Invitational. It is a lesson not only in how to, but how to defend yourself against someone that seems reticent at the concept and idea entirely. So if someone's not, if they're like, yeah, he's got three wounds, and then they just kind of move on, I'll be like, can you put a dice next to it? Like, ask him. And if they're like, uh, I'm going to use a command point here. I'm like, how many do you have? And they'll say, uh, six. I'll be like, do you have a dice or something like that? Everyone's getting better about it. I, I very, like, I go to tournaments all the time. I don't know that I encounter many people that are just like, in fact, I'm being scientific. I don't encounter anyone that is just like, I have nine command points. And I'm like, how do you know? And they're like, it's in my head. Like, nobody, nobody, <laughs> tries, to, nobody tries to get away with that. So if you encounter somebody where they're just like, they're doing that, again, you're probably not facing Todd Silver. You're not you're not hitting up some master general. And, and you're probably playing against someone that's a little bit more casual. Um, and that's okay. So don't be a full-on dick about it. But just be like, hey, if you don't mind, can you use this? And if they get really weird and like i don't have a dice then you could be like well then use this one my friend and you know help them with that but it's huge because i play warhammer all the time and i forget shit all the time like everybody else so don't rely on just your memory it makes for bad times do you guys mind the shameless plugs on here pablo no do not mind at all oh good well then i'm definitely going to use the shameless plug here uh i actually use the Hammerhead Games uh, made a command point and mm-hmm. uh, victory point tracker, and I actually love it. I, it's probably one of the few things. I have like three or four things that I just don't like playing a game of Warhammer without, and I've grown so dependent on it. That's one of them. I love the fact that, and I tell my opponent too, like uh, as I'm playing, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, we're throughout the game, and we, he just finished his turn, and I'll be like, okay, so I've got me at this command point, I got you at this. Does that sound about right? And yep. doing it every turn makes it to where we're not like three turns away and all of a sudden, you know, oh, wait, you're you you have yourself at eight and I only have you at six. And now we're trying to go back three turns and figure it out where if we're not on the same page at the end of that turn, it's pretty easy to remember where in that turn those points were used or not. Yeah. 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 yeah those those trackers, the the frontline gaming has one as well. Just because Reese would slap me if I didn't mention oh, something shit. about it. Well, done, uh, but uh, well done, Pop. <laughs> Hammerhead and Front Hammerhead Games and Frontline Gaming both offer tournament trackers. I uh, highly recommend going to either one of those stores and picking their up um, and pick yourself up a nine inch template while you're at it too. They're they're absolutely great. Um, I carry mine. You got those available in the store, Pablo? Absolutely. Frontline Hell Gaming yeah. store. So, Josh, here's another kind of side question to this. You ha- you deal with reserve points, right? Which obviously, your 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 scores don't go up to hundreds of points. How do you keep track of those points for your opponent? So, I actually use, uh, I have uh, what I did at LVO specifically, and it's kind of the way I've just adopted permanently now, is I have a, a two-layer redundancy system, in essence, to make sure that I, I'm able to track it. So, I have a dry erase board, a little, like, one of those little tiny, like, you know, about uh, eight-inch little dry erase board that I take with me to the tournament and when we start up the game we're going over our army list and all that I actually just pull it out and I show it to my opponent at the top 
what my reserve points is, my reinforcement points. And anytime I summon something, I literally just put a little line and I like I track it right down the board. Like I don't even erase it. I track it down the board so we can see it. But then also I have all these little. My wife is actually pretty amazing. She made these little uh, little cheat sheet kind of like data sh- data sheet cards for the summoned units that I that oh, I summon good. in my army. And those summoned units, whenever I do it, they have the points, value, and power level on the little card. And so whenever I summon something, I leave the card on the table. And even when it died, you know, I tell my opponent, even if this dies, I'm just going to kick it over here on the side so that if we're ever worried about whether the points on this board are slightly off, we can just add up what's on the table and it should be the same. Um, and so it was just kind of a double layer of redundancy for me to make sure that my opponent never... Something I, I had to learn pretty heavily over the last few years of Warhammer is it's not my opponent's job to try and decipher my army. It's it's his job to understand. I mean, it's your job to understand the rules of Warhammer and understand your opponent's codex and all that. It's not my opponent's job to be trying to figure out, wait, okay, what's this guy got going on over here with this, this, and this? Yeah. You know, it, it, that's not his job. He's got enough to worry about. He's worrying about his game. He's trying to play Jeez. his game. Adding a I layer to that. A tip and a jab at Matt Root. Well done. Oh, Ooh. that was not. That was not. I no. We're no. All kinds of no. Shade no shade. Oh, Jeff, you're killing me. You're killing me, Jeff. No. Actually, <laughs> if anything, that was more jab at myself than anything. Uh, right, because right, that right. was that was the way I used to play. It was like, oh, it's his job to figure it out. It's his problem. Whatever. And that that actually won. Obviously, as anyone that knows me or knows of me, that got me into a lot of trouble. It got me in a lot of problems because my opponent walks away from the table like, wait, what the hell just happened? What was going on on that table? And that's never where you want to be. And so it was, it's, it's been my learning experience over the last few years realizing it's not their job, it's mine. And if I can't provide that linear aspect to them, I can't provide that understanding to them, then I've failed. And so that's just kind of where I've, where I've pushed that, especially when it comes to like reinforcement points or whatever. No, Matt Root saved yep. me from Aaron Long, so actually, just I'm just teasing. He's a hero. <laughs> I love you, Matt. All the stars are out to shine tonight, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Mr. Uh, Patron Thomas, uh, so this question was geared towards clocks, but I think it's something that we could actually answer um, without just removing chess clocks, uh, without or by removing the chess clock part of the question. So how does the ITC, or how do we deal with veterans who suffer from PTSD and anxiety? Uh, he's asking this because he would like to get back in the tournament scene, but he has a difficult time with uh, the chess clock um, and anxiety issues associated with his PTSD. Um, he says he still finishes games at 2K in about 2 hours and 30 minutes, um, and he's been playing for 21 years. So, awesome. so just remove the chess clock part of it. And first off, Thomas and any other listeners who are listening, thank you for your service if you were in the military or Appreciate were it, in the military. So I, I know I know this is something that, that people have a problem with 40k. I've seen it in tournaments. There There's a lot of anxiety, especially if you're squaring up across the table with someone like Jeff or, or Val or, or someone you know or look up to, or even like an Alex Harrison, right? Um, even the best of us can have some sort of anxiety, and I imagine PTSD exacerbates the issue. So what do you guys have for some tips for people who might have anxiety issues uh, going to tournaments and, and kind of just dealing with the rigged tournament schedules and, and pressures? Easiest answer of my life is, A, a lot of that is just the apprehension of you haven't been, so you're kind of nervous about what could be. It's just bigger in your head. So the lame-ass answer is just go, and you're going to kind of find that it's not as big of a deal as, as it is in your head. And of the PTSD you have and of the anxiety that you have, some of that will diminish. But the easiest answer for me is that uh, if you if someone at the table, because I'm, I'm about as intensive a player as you could possibly get, but if, if someone says, hey, I'm a, I'm a veteran, I suffer from PTSD, I have anxiety, 
do you mind if you know you take it a little easy or you kind of talk yourself through these games with me and that kind of thing i will say tell me if something's happening like if you're having a tough time tell me if i'm pushing the limits a little bit too hard and let's work on this together like i'm everyone i think will say that i cannot imagine you get to a table and you're like, hey, I'm a veteran. And he's like, let me stop you there. Fuck you. Okay. I don't want to hear about it. Like, uh, you're on your own. Like, nobody's, that's not going to happen. It just won't. Um, so I'm not even going to, like, deal in the hypotheticals of this weird situation where it could. You're going to have a good time. You're going you're gonna to come to a like-minded person. And they're going to be interested in trying to make that the case. There's still this, like, belief that there's, like, tournaments are chock full of whack dickheads. It's just so not the case. No. So, I 100% agree. If yeah. you say you're a veteran, you've got PTSD, your opponent's going to be like, what can we do to help with that? And then you just give them some ideas. And, and that's you're the best answer for that, right? Like, I don't have PTSD. I'm not a veteran, so I, I don't want to presume to even answer. So work on it together. Yeah, man. <laughs> Josh, uh, do, you, do you have anything maybe more to add with this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I obviously I am, I am a veteran. I do not have PTSD, um, so I, I do not claim to... Uh, uh, feel what these obviously the the guys that have gone through that feel. I do actually have a member of my team actually that does. He has pretty severe PTSD. He was actually uh, in a, uh, a um, APC that was hit by an IED, and he's pretty. Mm. He he actually struggles really hard. He actually had to move out of Vegas. He was originally from Vegas, and he actually had to move out of Vegas because waking up in a desert every morning was like just completely destroying him. So he oh. he he suffers pretty bad, and ironically. Um, he actually relishes going to tournaments. The The problem for him is not in the game. It's everywhere else. It's in the game. He's able, he is like, his mind focuses and he just enjoys the time. It's him and his opponent. And he just it, uh, locks onto that. It's a game with his buddy or game with somebody he doesn't know. He's going to end up going out later and drinking with them. And he's good with that. It's outside the table, away from the table. When it's in this room full of 500 people or whatever, that's when it kind of can get to him. Um, and yeah. he, he kind of takes one out of, uh, uh, Shaylin's book actually, where, um, he actually had an issue at, uh, a friend of mine had an issue at LVO this past year. And he, it's one of those you find, he said, you find people, you know, find that comfort, that, that familiarity, I guess, find that familiarity, the familiar ground that, you know, find a group of people, you know, people, you know, you know friend or whatever, and just go sit down, chat for a little bit. And it takes the pressure down. And uh, I, I 100% have to back what Jeff said is uh, I am actually more comfortable in a tournament than I am outside the tournament. Uh, at LVO is a prime example. I hate walking to the casino because it, it messes with me really bad, all the people. But inside the tournament, I am more comfortable than I am at home. And so uh, it, he's right. It, the game is not what that perception of, you know, it, there used to be that old adage of you go to a five round tournament, you'll get three good games, one ant game and one that guy game that used to be kind of the running, you know, forte or, or saying or whatever. Not anymore. Not anymore. I, I have, uh, that's 100% not the case. Jeff has hit the nail on the head that the game is actually full of some really decent people. And those stories are not the norm anymore. They are the extremes. And a lot of veterans, by the way, I, that's one of the things I really enjoy about Warhammer's year coming across military people, police, all the time. There's a lot of people of that. So you're going to find some super like-minded people. It's not going to be an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So this next question, uh, Mr. Patron Tim, it's kind of a follow-up to the pro- the question we had previously. Um, I, I I didn't I didn't think it was maybe worth you know a- asking, but you guys might actually have an answer to it. Um, is there any alternative to chess clocks 
uh, if there are any issues with someone who might have, you know, might have using them. So if someone says maybe they can't use a chess clock or they don't want to use a chess clock, have you guys found any alternatives to chess clocks or or no? I can't think of any off the top Punch of my head. Punch them in the throat. First thing. Violence. <laughs> yeah. Already, like, already like good clocks. answer. Slam them right in the throat. That'll that'll end it. No, I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, I, you. It's just weird at that point. Like if they're, like, I don't like clocks. You, and you start what keeping time on your phone. You're like, just so you know, by the way, you've got 35 minutes. And they're like, I hate clocks. And they're like, well, I'm gonna keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you just kind of say that's okay because you're probably not at the final table. In which case, most tournaments are gonna dictate you should have a clock anyways. Yeah. Exactly. And I would just be like, if you don't mind, man. I'm going to kind of keep an eye on it, and I really want to finish this game. Like, it's, again, that social contract thing. Like, if they're nervous about clocks and the tournament's not forcing it, cool. Then just be very clear about your intentions. I, yeah. I hear more Intent. horror stories. The actual horror stories that happen at tournaments is one person will say something kind of socially weird. They'll be like, I don't like keeping track of time, and each of my soldiers has an individual name. And then you'll be like, you won't say anything. And then the game ends on turn three, and they will and still won't you say, say anything. something. And they'll walk away and just like mumble like I didn't like that guy and he's a dick and I didn't like the game. But they didn't say, they didn't talk. Like you got to yeah. talk it out. Yeah, that's a big that's a big issue. Um, uh, another thing I I see people using to when to when interacting with people who don't like chess clocks are are this very simple. Um, is it okay if I use a chess clock for my own purposes? Like like I'm either you can either say you're practicing a chess clock or you're trying to keep track of your own time. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times that can kind of defuse the situation by saying, hey, like, hey, look, it's not it's not like your time. It's not death clock. It's just I'm using it for myself. It's something I will take care of. Uh, and then, you know. Yes and no. I, don't I've be seen too that. nice I, about it. I see that. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not like, like, I've never used that personally. I've never had an issue just where, so where someone's been like, it's I don't want to use a chess clock. It's on my side of the table. It's not a death <laughs> clock. It's, it's, and that's when Pablo no pulls off get... the mask at the end and goes, just kidding, bitch! It turns out you've got five minutes. You fucked up. You got Pablo. Do you know who I am? You heard of Chapter Tactics? Jeff figured out, and then I throat punch them. That's exactly right. Um, but, but that is something that I've seen people do at tournaments: is just drop that simple like. Uh, I'm gonna use a chess clock for my own time for practice or or whatever. Um, maybe it works. I don't know. I don't like. I said I don't use that. Um, Val, is there any any alternatives to chess clocks that, you, that Canadians might use? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the metric yeah. system. Just the, the metric oh, yeah, system. We have a oh, beaver we bring to every tournament. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you track it by the twofer, eh, bud? So, you know, once you're down about <laughs> a half twofer. Hour 20 yeah, into it, know. he keeps his head up, and I go, oh, gotcha, okay, it's about an hour 20. <laughs> You gotta speed it up there, you just, bud. You just fire. You just fire a messenger message down to your bud Pablo. You ask him if there's like an hour left or so. If you want to chuck a puck well, around, we can do that, mate. But right now you're, you know? we're looking at about ten minutes there. Oh, <laughs> All shit. right. I, th- I think we've given this question enough. Enough of. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> final question, Mister Patron Dan. Some, some touching <laughs> answers. Some uh, idiotic answers. It was good. Yeah, it's good. If, if if knights crush at Adepticon. Uh, what do you think will be GW's response to the next FAQ for Rapier on Knights? So, so this is assuming that that Knights absolutely destroy Adepticon, and then Which the nerf could. happens, and then Knights aren't nerfed enough. Um, is is kind of how I understood this question. I kind of jackass going to bring Jay... three Castellans. <laughs> I, I kind of go back to what Jeff said earlier, where I I think that everyone is expecting this massive you know, nerf sledgehammer that's about to come to the Castellans. And while I fully expect, and I think the entire community fully expects there to be some level of, you know, uh, a taming down of the Castellan in the night issue, 
I don't think it's going to get this massive kick in the dick everyone's expecting it to get because it's it, at the end of the day. I, I personally am in the camp. My my personal view is that the the Castellan itself, the the knight itself, the unit isn't the issue because if it was the knight was the issue, then every Chaos Army and their brother would have one as well. It's mm-hmm. the combination of the knight with their stratagems and the relics and the warlord traits and all that. And I think just some of the minor things that Jeff just kind of kicked out earlier is is a, is a prime example of ways it can be tamed down very well. And is it is it going to be no one's going to run a Castellan anymore because they're complete garbage dumpster fire? No, no, it won't. It, there's still going to be people running Castellans. You're just not going to see five of them in the top eight armies in a GT. You know, it's it's not it's you're not going to see that as much. And I think that's really at the end of the day, isn't that what we're kind of after? Yeah, yeah I think. I think one thing, I think if uh, if the Falcon were soaring in our sky tonight, mm. um, he would be pointing out that knights are mid-table dick kickers, and they oh, have tremendously story. high win percentages. Um, so, like, knights, and also, by the way, they're winning, like, knights primary, if you look at 40kstats.com, that's 40kstats.com, <laughs> you'll see that knights have been winning GTs, they've been, they've got a very high, you know, they, they're getting a 4-0 quite regularly, like, it's a strong book, so. They're great. A step back, not just for the Castellan, and I hope, uh, a, a nuanced nerf, uh, like, a, a light touch, like they've done with Eldar, and a lot of their nerfs have been actually, I think, more cautious, which is fantastic, um, but hopefully something in that direction will will just take the edge off them a bit, get them closer to a fifty percent win rate than a sixty percent win rate. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that codex, you know, nerf, nerfing the rotate iron shield so a four plus plus max or something small maybe to the castle, and I I think that codex will survive a nerf like that. It, it's a really resilient codex with a lot of tools um, that that people haven't even really unlocked, and a lot of combinations with the best ally charts or the best allies in the in forty k right now, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, it'll be fine. All right. And that is it, guys. That's all the questions. Uh, thank you very much for sticking with us for an hour and a half. A little longer than I said it would be. Um, so in conclusion, we're, we're going to be flying Sean out to the Throne of War GT in Hawaii. They are our official sponsor. Uh, that'll be in two months in June. Um, so check that out. Join the Patreon. And we're, we're so close to hitting that goal of 200 patrons to fly out a co-host every three months to a major tournament. Um, I, I, it's something I really want to do. If, if you want a co-host to come out to your event, uh, encourage people to sign up for our Patreon, and then we'll fly out maybe Mr. Val, Mr. Jeff. Uh, Going Sean, to China. Peter, you know, China. Also, a shout-out yeah, China. to... I, I forgot what the name of it was. it like the Shanghai Showdown? I forgot completely forgot the name of that GT. You just made that up, but cool. It's in Tianjin. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's north of it's north of Beijing. It is a thirty-person GT in China. That first, is so awesome. The largest first forty k tournament in China, I believe, so is, is largest what it was and first. As. Yes, that, Jesus, that is crazy. There, there was a, actually a GT. Um, uh, I believe Tony. Yeah, that Tony reported on on in um, that was in Japan, which is which is also really crazy. Uh, so you know, it's it's really cool. Forty k is growing. Uh, we have these international tournaments. Uh, maybe one day, you know, we'll we'll have a large, actual world championships um, singles event or something like that. That'd be really cool. Yeah, we'll call it the LVO. Next question. Anyways, also don't forget the Shadow Spear box. One lucky patron is going to win that this month. You have uh, till the end of April, so basically the Depticon episode will be the shutdown or will, will be the deadline. So. Uh, you have until the end of Adepticon to sign up for Patreon and win that Shadow Sphere box. Uh, and then, as always, go to frontlinegaming.org, purchase stuff, 
check out In the Finest Hour. Check out In Control's new podcast, Deadpan Diaries. Uh, it's really good. Their episode four is not coming out this week, I believe, Jeff. It is. It's not. It is. Okay, we'll look up for episode <laughs> totally four this is. week. Uh, and then go to 40kstats.com. Thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you, Val. And Pablo, I just want to say that m- my Canadian skin is crawling. There was some very light shade thrown tonight. And I just want to remind everyone that no matter what I say, I once lost my own passport in my shoe. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> hmm. Thank you very much, Josh and Jeff, for coming on as well. And as always, have a good one. Take it easy.